You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Uh, it's the end of October, so it is our big finish releases of the month episode. We love doing these. Uh, I'm Johnston, and with me today, I have Alex. Hey, what's up, what's up? It's good to have you back on. I don't think you've done one for a while, so it's good to have you here. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice and simple. We are going to talk about things Big Finish have released for us to listen to over the last month. Um, so your spoiler warning is Big Finish releases from October. Um, and obviously we may venture into related territory. Um, but so we're going to talk about Geronimo, uh, Nemesis Express, uh, Rose Tyler box set, uh, Torchwood SUV, Torchwood Soho, The Unbegotten, Kaleidoscope and Dorian Gray, The Anniversary. Um, so we'll start off, Alex. Uh, I'll ask you, what was your favourite release of the month? Uh, Kaleidoscope episode five. <laughs> Just that episode. Yeah, it, it was Kaleidoscope episode five, then Torchwood SUV, then the other Torchwood Unforgotten, or maybe Geronimo, and then the rest of Kaleidoscope. I just I like the episode five is just like it's just like the peak. It's like peak comedy for me. It's just so great. Uh, it, it was very very well done. I, I did. Uh, I enjoyed what they did there, and it was kind of a a nod to not so much uh, like the third Doctor era, but the actual era itself. That kind of early to mid seventies. Um, it was an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I just got like a, it's like a like a real adult swim vibe from it like i don't know if you've ever watched um any of their like cartoons that the the parody the 70s like um sea lab 2021 or or um uh the the hannah barbera ones like um oh uh name is basically uh the attorney the attorney show or um stuff like that but it felt like a real pastiche from that period it was really fun i loved um like every time they do the um kaleidoscope like thing like it really feels like you've got like a like a spinning chiron on screen yes like it, it yeah right yeah it kind of i mean i've not seen any of the adult swim stuff but it kind of gave me vibes of uh like the 60s adam west batman series and that kind of thing you know that it does with the bat logo yeah, yeah, exactly right. I saw the film of that recently. It's really awesome. Um, um, it's just like that level of like camp and irony to it. It's just, it's just fantastic. And it, it, it really is like it does lean into that TV vibe for the episode. 
because you've yeah. got like the third doctor like watching <laughs> for the episode and like shouting at the screen effectively because he's so annoyed at how dumb everyone's being. It's just it's just very very fun. Um. Yeah, very. It was very, very nicely done. I I did enjoy Kaleidoscope, and we'll talk about it a bit more after. But yeah, it, it's it's sort of it's one of the best. But I do think the best overall uh, for me this for me at least this month. Uh, it was Touchwood Soho, Unbegotten. I thought it was just excellent. Um, I think it's actually the best Soho set we've had so far, uh, and it's it's a great range. Absolutely brilliant range. I'm glad that it's kind of become an annual thing now. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I kind of binged it while unable to move. I was just lying in bed with COVID and not having the greatest time. But then it came along and I just listened to all six episodes on the bounce without a break. And yeah, it was great. It was a it was a nice one of the few nice moments um throughout COVID. So yes, I, I did enjoy it. <laughs> there had to be something good. <laughs> yeah. All right then. Well, let's uh, the first release we're going to talk about. Let's move on to that. Uh, it is the Eleventh Doctor. Uh, is it gets Chronicles still, isn't it? They're still being released as Chronicles, but it's a Geronimo, um, which I think is definitely the best Eleventh Doctor content we've had from Big Finish uh, so far. Um, I think it's the best we've we've heard of Dudman. Uh, what do you think of it? It's the only one I've heard. Um, like oh, probably, and, um, uh, I really, really like this, the opening episode um, with the 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 um, the escalating sort of anti-capitalist thing going on, and um, I like the the sci-fi setting. And um, uh, and I like that it's 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 I like all the emotional drama, which I thought was very effective with the family. Um, yeah. And it just I really really like her. I, I like that. Um, uh, look, I, I like I can't remember the character's name <laughs> off my head because I'm terrible with names. But um, um, Valerie, Valerie, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, they're. Um, they're great. Like I like that they're a character who's um, who becomes sort of like radicalized um, and and wants to go out and and fix the universe rather than someone who sort of like passively reacts to like um uh like the the doctor offering them like you know the universe like it's like a what like a cosmic sweet store or whatever the quote is from um God Complex. Like yeah. I like that she's someone who who knows it's dangerous off the bat and then decides that she wants to fix things. And I find that really admirable and, and likable. Um, and I find that really, um, I guess, um, you know, I'm a leftist, like, like the episode is clearly pretty leftist. Like I like the idea of, 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 of someone who decides that she wants to, you know, um, I don't know, uh, take down like ugly authoritarian power structures. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it would. I I found it to be the uh, the strongest of the set that first episode for many of the same reasons that you've just uh, just said. But it was a really really good uh, companion intro as well. Um, 
like you know we were straight away we were with that family and we kind of we saw that family tore apart over the course of the episode and uh yeah we've we, like we've got a companion like you say with a motivation with with a mission almost um traveling in the tardis i i like i like um the uh like you, you talk about the, the family thing i like that it's a deliberate parallel or it feels like a deliberate parallel with rose the doctor turns up um trying to solve some sort of problem but actually bringing the problem to them effectively by um this time with a bomb the previous time it was with a you know in rose it said that he effectively like you know weaponizes the plastic arm by being there um and but but unlike rose everything here just falls apart yeah um yeah. and it becomes like this big tragedy i think it's really effective um yeah yeah thoroughly enjoyable um and the uh, the other two stories were I didn't find them to be as strong, but I did I did find a lot there to like. Um, I liked sort of the novelty of uh, the final episode, the end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it feels like it's a sliding doors type thing, but it's yes. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, sort of timey wimey stuff going on to. Uh, quote the doctor yeah and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they, they do cool things where they 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 let both doctor and, and valerie valerie yes i remember uh they let them both um find different ways of solving the problems so you sort of see their different like skills and, and valerie really feels like she feels like a really good proactive character there's something i really like about her like they do such a good job by by her i think she feels really fully formed out of the gate yeah in a way that like, a lot of them sometimes don't. They love companions. And uh, well, I know you've not heard them, but I would say that the one thing previous Eleventh uh, Doctor Chronicles have been missing is is a companion. Uh, there's been companion stand-ins. We've had one where uh, Dorian was a stand-in. We've had one where um, what oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, the the guy that Michael Gambon played in. Um, uh, I can't even remember the name of the story. Christmas Carol, Christmas Carol, but the kid version, yeah, uh, well, the the teenage version. Um, so we've we've kind of had these stand-in companion-like, but it's very much been people the Doctor met, um, as opposed to this sort of someone that the the Doctor is sharing adventures with and i do think that it, it does make a huge difference having that um that a character we can sort of follow and grow to like over more than 55 minutes <laughs> it also feels like you know fresh dynamic to the thing which i appreciate as well yeah yeah and it's, and uh, it's set, set an, an interesting, interesting time, time in the 11th as, life life as well as well um, the clara thing well yeah it's kind of post pond but pre clara and he's he he was a different character because he kind of didn't have a purpose after he'd lost the ponds and he's kind of got that purpose now and on tv we saw him gain that purpose at the end of uh, the snowman and then within 10 minutes of uh, the bells of st john that purpose had gone because he'd found clara so i i quite like the the fact that the doctor has a motivation beyond sulking about the time war and going around the universe mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 good that they've kind of given us the eleventh Doctor at a time where we didn't really get to explore his character much. Speaking of of dankest lore, did you um do you have any speculation as to who this mysterious like woman Time Lord figure is that sort of like floats around the first and third stories in the set? Uh, you know, I hadn't even thought about it, but I'm going to throw out a wild and random bit of speculation. It's a female Valiard. <laughs> um, why yeah, not? like, <laughs> like I, I hadn't considered that. My brain was ranking like, like Rani at the top, like because they they do the the the, the evil capitalism virus in the first story, and that feels like science techie, you know. Yeah. And then it was um, original character. And then third character down the list was was Missy, but she never meets the Doctor. Um, I mean, all fair guesses. Absolutely. No, I've I've honestly no idea. It it has kind of got me got me guessing, but we uh we get another set next year, so hopefully we'll learn a bit more then. There'll probably be a big cliffhanger at the end. Like, oh, it was this character all along. Um, as they like to do. Well, it could be a goth script, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, oh, is it? Is it a goth script? Yeah. Oh, excellent. yeah. Yeah, I had haven't really checked out much of the next set yet. I've sort of seen the the cover art. Uh, so next up, uh, we have got uh, Nemesis Express, the the Eric Roberts master set, uh, which obviously featured Vienna as well. Um, it's not my favourite of the month. Uh, but I, I I did enjoy it. There was there was stuff there to enjoy. Um, it's it's slightly moved away from the. I mean, the first set was sort of going down a a bit of a '90s sci-fi route. Uh, it's kind of moved away from that with this second set. Some of those ideas and concepts are still there, but I think it's trying to do something different. In what sense would you say that the first season was like '90s inspired? Like I was talking to Steyer about that the other day and i i just i i don't see it like like the second story is inspired by like john carpenter films from the 80s and um like the big like shark and attack feels very total recall which is also from the 80s um and and like the the big buildings that's and the blade runner sort of vangelis soundtrack like i don't know why did you say 90s that's interesting actually um i guess i was thinking more kind of low budget 90s <laughs> 90s tv sort of the way that obviously you know with things like uh star trek deep space nine we don't really see much of planets because it's set on a space station but whenever we do mm-hmm. visit a planet it is tall buildings it is corporate types it's so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess that's kind of where I'm approaching it from. It it's kind of got if Star Trek got off a ship and just hung around on a planet for a little bit, kind of. Yeah, but and they do lead into the, the the cheese factor with these, which is not bad. I, I like cheese, and there's like there are there are a lot of like Girls with Guns series from the nineties. Like I I always think about um I don't know if you've ever seen this, and I nominate this wrong. Cleopatra twenty five twenty five starring um Gina. Oh, I can't remember her name. Have, mean, you, have you seen that? Have you heard no, of that? I've never or like Xena? But it sounds no. You haven't heard that. of it? Oh my god! It has it has the best premise. It has the best premise. 
um, there's a there's a there's a, a sex worker, a stripper, um, who go, undergoes a, a, a botched like breast enhancement surgery, and she gets put in cryogenic storage um, until they find a way to fix her. Um, cut to twenty five twenty five. Where um, I think robots or aliens or, or lizard people or something have taken over the Earth, and she's been defrosted because she's one of the few human beings left. Um, and now she has to fight the lizard people, and like that—that that feels like the level of like Gonzo, like um, cheesy semi sexploitation vibe that 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 like I'd like to see a lot more in these kinds of stories. I guess. I mean, this this sounds delightfully bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, I, I do think it's leaning into a lot of that kind of thing, though. It's you know we're not talking mm. about the big budget, good ninety stuff that we remember. We're not talking about X Files or Buffy. We are talking about the the sort of cheesy, low budget American sci fi kind of stuff. Basically, what Doctor Who would have been had the movie led to a series. Um, mm. I think that they're kind of trying to heavily lean in, lean into that. Um, I, I guess maybe. I guess just when I think about the 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 nineties, and I think about cheap sci-fi, I, I'd call Buffy, and I certainly call the the early seasons of the X Files fairly cheap. I um, uh, but like, um, I guess when I think about that, I think more about like like hackers hack the planet type stuff, or yeah. um. Uh, uh, grunge, new metal, uh, that kind of stuff, like like um, that that sort of weird intersection of 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 punk and 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 um, and low budget. I think it was the Total Recall series. It was also in the nineties. Um, I I just don't get like a very strong like punk vibe. Yeah. from like this sort of very clearly snowpiercer inspired story like i guess that was my that's my major criticism of of nemesis express is that it's 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 so clearly based on snowpiercer uh the 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 2013 film version not uh the concierge or, or Le Tron, i can't my, my french is terrible but the um the the comic from the 80s have you, have you yeah. seen the 2013 film uh, it's it's on the ever expanding to do list. Oh my god! Oh I my know. god! Just fix yourself. Um, go and watch it. Now. No. Yes, go and watch Let's it now. Do a podcast, podcast commentary as I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? We could do that. <laughs> um, um, I'll just talk all over it, and you won't be able to hear anything. No, it's just like like the the film. The film has like. It, it's it's also a metaphor for capitalism, uh, yeah. not to sound like a broken record. And it has um, the 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 um, the hermetically sealed environment of the train, not hermetically, but the sealed environment of the train, um, uh, has like a really stratified class system. And the uh, the engine of the train is a metaphor for the um, sort of like the the ongoing vicissitudes of of late stage capitalism. Yeah. Um and uh and you can see they, they adapted that into this with like third class compartments. They mentioned second class compartments, but we never see them. And 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 first class. And I just I guess I just don't understand how the class system even works on a on a space-time train where you can just leave 
whenever you want, or um, like um, like like third class, you can just like run around and murder people with impunity. But apparently, you can also do that in first class. Like I don't really understand. Like I don't really understand any of the logic of the setting. I, th- I think that the it it was missing a bit of world building. I think it probably actually needed one more episode that just kind of told us a bit more about this society and what was going on and that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it is, I have to admit something that since the standard big finish set has gone from four to three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. feel yeah. as though we've actually lost in almost every set. We've lost basically the first episode or what would have been the first episode. And it's kind of been crammed into the first 10 minutes or so of, of the first episode and actually it needs a bit more time to breathe um, yeah I, I feel like Doctor Who's like big strength is it's actually so indulgent yeah. uh, with its run times um, and like a lot of the most interesting things about these stories are often happening at the margins rather than the, the actual central plot Yeah, which can often be you know like they're just evoking and I say this with love like fairly hackneyed plots from the 70s, 80s and 90s they, no one's here reinventing the wheel yeah, yes. um yeah um and yeah i wanted to spend more time with these characters i wanted to spend more time with this space i wanted it to be you know weirder and a bit more thought through i guess um i really liked um i know if you heard the interviews at the end where one of the uh the, the actress playing passion where she talks about how anime inspired she feels the train was and i was like yes give me more of that give me more like gonzo storytelling yeah. Uh, or Gainax storytelling if we're talking about um, anime. Um, uh, I, I'd love that, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe because, you know, we've talked about so many things that these sets seem to be inspired by. Actually, maybe they mm. just need to zero in on, yes, okay, we're doing an anime set or we are doing a cheesy 90s low budget sci-fi and there seems yeah, to be a yeah. lot of inspiration and a lot of ideas and uh, perhaps things are getting a bit lost or a little bit muddled uh in that i mean I mean, perhaps i i um like i don't think the story is an entire write-off like i i i like sorry that implies even saying that implies that i'm way more negative than i am on it like i i am i won't like i was i was disappointed by it but um, I, I think, like, there's nothing bad about, like, the core ideas or even the core structure of the piece. No. Um, and and I, I, think, I think you could have, like, done something really cool here. It's just, I guess, a missed opportunity. I think, if anything, I'd maybe have preferred it if we'd have continued to explore the world of the first set, because that was that was quite well established and that there were kind of, there was world building going on and it was in a time that as Doctor Who fans were sort of familiar with, it was kind of post Dalek invasion. Um, I, I, I kind of wish we'd have spent a bit more time there, uh, but instead what we kind of got was, I've got a cool train idea. Let's put the master on a train in space and time. Um, yeah, I, I I think actually it could have benefited from a a central setting, and this is actually something I say about um, 
a, a lot of the river song sets you know she's she's bobbing about all over the place but actually i'd kind of like to see river have a base a home a you know a group of friends even um and i think that's something that this this series this master series could benefit from as well i, I thought it was odd that they were sort of implying that they're well, implying, but like it feels like they're writing out the Kenzie character, uh, or that they have written out the Kenzie character. Like in this, suddenly, like in, she's referenced a few times in the in the, the first master exclamation mark set, but yeah. in master exclamation mark, Demis Express, suddenly Vienna's all like, "Hey, you and I could do the end of Casablanca, passion," um, and um, I don't know, um, like. I, the, the 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 original Vienna location is actually kind of perfect to stick the master in, um, and I, I guess maybe that would be cool. I don't know, um, and it's a lot closer to like the the Dalek invasion. Have you heard those? Uh, the Vienna sets, no. Yeah, it, it's oh. it's it's a bit of a big finish <laughs> I've yet to uh, make my way to. They're great. They're really really fun. Um, there's some really great Guy Adam scripts there. You should check out. Yep, I'll I'll definitely give them a go. They're on the list. This uh, this list is huge. Like I keep mentioning the list. It's a real list. I've got an actual list. Things I need to see or listen to. And for this next section, uh, Holly has joined us. Hello, Holly. Hello. Um, so we're going to talk about Rose Tyler, the Dimension Cannon, uh, this the second box set in the range uh, that came out in the last month. Um, what what were your thoughts on it, Holly? Yeah, I uh, I loved it. Basically, in short, I mean, I really enjoyed um, the first set as well, and I feel like I feel like this lived up to the first one. To be honest, um, I'm a huge fan of Rose and Jackie. I may have mentioned that on this podcast before. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I just love this range. It fit this whole range. It feels very different to me from a lot of big finishes other output. It's feels a lot more character focused and, um, you know, very RTD esque just in terms of tone and sensibility and all that. One thing I do quite like about this range is that we've got, um, like Rose has a mission. She has a name. It's not just, the continuing adventures of River Song or of, you know, even Bernice or whatever. Rose is actively trying to find the Doctor. We kind of know where it starts, know where it ends, and this is the bit in the middle. Um, and from a character point of view, I quite like that, and I'm glad that they've done the Rose Tyler spin-off before um, sort of Series 4 and all the Stolen Earth stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely, same. And I mean, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to... They seem to be implying, don't they, that the third set might be a bit different in terms of, I don't know, because also obviously this set had an, a great cliffhanger. I'm kind of hoping that she's going to be stuck on one world for the whole of the third set. But at the same time, I do feel like just jumping from parallel world to parallel world and, you know, disaster to <laughs> to disaster is kind of, you can't go wrong really, as long as this, the individual stories are well told, which I think they have been. Uh, it is nice that... Um... Yeah, it's it's putting Rose into very different situations. And this set, we got something we didn't really get in the first, which was a story that obviously it was set at the same time, but it was set in a society that hadn't quite 
developed the same way and we're able to explore a very, very different world, whereas everything so far just seems to be another parallel Earth in 2006 or whatever it is. Yeah, that was um, that was the second one, wasn't it? I did appreciate that because it, yeah, they, they, it was essentially a historical, except that it wasn't, which I thought was a really, it was a nice way of getting something different in there for sure. Yeah, it it was sort of nice to have that difference, and it was it was salt water, wasn't it? Uh, it was. Mm, I a, think it was now is the new dark. No, it wasn't. Now is the new dark. Sorry. Yes, I'm getting my episodes mixed up. Salt water was the first one. Um, <laughs> And then uh, we had the third one, the Rogue Planet, which was sort of a nice, uh, I guess, personal story for Rose. Yeah, I love, I love that. I think, I mean, as I say, I think the whole set was really strong, but the Rogue Planet was personally my favourite of the three. And I pre- it probably won't be for everyone because it's like a properly, probably just domestic, like messy relationshipy mother daughter stuff. Um, yeah, I think, doesn't... I think it was, yeah. It's like a really great exploration of Rose and Jackie's relationship in a way that we haven't got certainly on audio before, which I was I was very much here for. Yeah, definitely, and it, it's. I mean, I think um, Jackie has has very. She's played a few different roles. She's played comic relief. She's played the sort of gormless relative who doesn't know what's going on. She's played that sort of. Uh, grounding to Rose as well, especially, you know, on uh, like during series two when Rose was even more kind of into her travels with the Doctor and Jackie was always a reminder and always reminded her, you know, just remember where you've come from, just remember that there are, you know, there are people here for you if nothing else and all that kind of thing. So Jackie works really well as that anchor uh, but I think throughout all of that, we actually lost kind of um, we lost out on exploring the relationship between the two. So I'm glad that Big Finish has started playing with that a bit. Billy, obviously, she gets two roles to play in this, and I feel like it also is a really good opportunity for Rose to see to see that she's been taking Jackie for granted, maybe a little bit, and how how great she has it compared to this other Rose, Rosie, whose mum is is kind of a letdown, at least on the surface. And then obviously you explore that actually even this Jackie is, there's a lot of heart there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as as I've said on this podcast before, Rose isn't my favourite character ever. Um, uh, and actually of the three main 10th Doctor companions, I would sh- say that she's my least favourite. However... Uh, of the, I know, uh, of the um, three main Tenth Doctor companions at Big Finish, I think Rose is by far doing the best at this point. Like, I enjoyed um, the Donna stuff we got. I enjoyed Kidnapped. I enjoyed uh, the Martha Jones set. But honestly, this Dimension Canon, it is it's way ahead. Okay, that's yeah, that's good to hear because, as I say, I I just love Rose and I feel like I was primed to love the set as long as it wasn't like a total disaster. So sometimes I feel like I feel like I can't totally tell sometimes with with this stuff if it's like great or not because I would happily just listen to Rose and Jackie, like 
I don't know, going shopping. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a genuinely really really good set, and it's like I said, the premise is interesting, and there's there is a mission for Rose to complete. You know, we're getting this series for a reason. This character's doing these things for a reason, and I do think that that kind of adds a bit of an edge to it. Um, and there is an element of desperation with planets shutting down, being destroyed, falling to pieces, left, right, and center. Yeah, I like uh, how I like how know, obviously how it's resolved. But... <laughs> yeah, but I do like how dark it gets. It doesn't it doesn't shy away from that stuff. You're right. It's uh, yeah, that's part of another another thing I think that makes it feel a bit different from a lot of what else Big Finish is doing. And it's it also sort of helps us get an idea of how Rose became as uh, she became a little bit more battle ready when she came back in that fourth series. Yes. Um, and we, we're kind of seeing that transition now. Yes. Uh, and I quite like that. Agreed. Okay. Well, I will let you um, escape now while we continue reviewing the rest of the month. But thank you very, very much for joining. Oh, thank you. Uh, I look forward to the third box set. That can't come soon enough, frankly. And we'll podcast about that when it happens. Marvellous. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's move on to Torchwood SUV. Yeah. Oh man, that was awesome. Um, I, I I said this before on uh, in the chat, but like, there's something so uh, misleading about the advertising for this one. But I I, I loved it. Um, they were all like, "Oh, SUV, the SUV has a voice. The voice is played by some person I've never heard of." And I'm like, "Oh wow, you know, they're doing." We're doing kits. We're doing which I've never seen. I've never seen Night Rider, but I've seen parodies of it. And I'm like, yes, yes, give me, give me, give me, um, give me, give me some sort of really kitsch, tortured, stuck in a van story. And it is a stuck in a van story. But Havis isn't really playing the SUV. He's playing like the voice of some sort of evil entity that's using the SUV, and is mostly just standing around saying things like. Have you tried teamwork? Or uh, just he's just like lightly trolling them the entire story. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's great. It's so funny. The story is it's it's um just like but like there's such a there's such a major beat in the story about like the parking brake and accidentally like like releasing the parking brake and going too far back down a hill uh, becomes this huge drama. Um, it reminds me a lot of those, like, um, have you seen any of those trapped in a car stories? Like those films? Uh, it's a whole can't, subgenre. Can't say I have. I've seen. The, yeah, um, I've seen the trapped mm-hmm. in a car episode of One Foot in the Grave, but that's probably that's probably as close as I get, and that's brilliant. Oh, uh, there's um, uh, uh, old mate, um, Luther. What's his name? Uh, Idris Elba. He did. He did one recently. Um, right. uh where he was trapped in a car, I think, with his two daughters, and there's, like, a lion outside. Uh, and I think it was either Tom Hardy or it was... Um, oh, the, the pickle jar man from The Piano or The Pianist. Um, he did one, I think. Like, it's a whole subgenre. Um, uh, and I, I just... Like it's just it's just a fun like it's fun to do something like that, um, like just like classic 
uh, monster movie style genre mashups. Oh, I yeah. love that kind of stuff. It's just it's just funny. Like they just like listening to the two of them like go increasingly spare at each other and 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 Toshiko ranting about um obscure British chip lore. Sorry, crisp. You guys are weird. Um <laughs> she says so many she says so many bad things about cheese and onion that I just seriously disagree with. I wanted to have an onion here so I could eat it on the podcast, but I forgot to bring one with me. Um like a live onion eating podcast. Yes. 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 Um brilliant. We're, just to we're, prove we're, we're pushing boundaries. We are we are taking <laughs> on the podcast world by eating onions. I love it. <laughs> um yeah, the British ship culture, crisp culture is is very weird. Um, um like half your flavors taste like armpits. Ready salted is a very bizarre thing um to say about chips because all chips have salt on them and they're already salted. Um uh like, um, and then you guys have like, like real, it's like that, she goes on that real nationalist bent about American flavors of chips and just like in Australia, like all our, all our chips, I'm going to keep on saying chips, you have to deal with it, um, are like, you know, like Red Rock Deli does like, um, lime and black pepper, which is, which owns, you know, like no one goes for, um, armpit flavor when they've got, um, See, we'd have we'd have lime and black pepper sort of sold to us as a this is a luxury crisp. This is a a limited edition luxury uh, flavor that you never normally get to try. We're mad. We're innovative. We've put lime and black pepper onto a bit of fried potato. <laughs> uh, I genuinely, it would be like this. This there's a like Walkers um, who are the prominent crisp brand um they they have a like a range called sensations these are the posh <laughs> um like I, I i have talked about this with like quite a few people in the past and they've all reacted pretty much as you have just then just sort of like what <laughs> um <laughs> Chips are dumb. I, I don't think I can't remember the last time I've eaten like a Lay's or whatever. Do you guys have Lay's? Uh, so I think Lay's and Walkers are the same basic thing, um, just different names. For that. I'm not sure. I, I, I haven't read too deeply into. Do you guys have Cheetos? Yes. Okay, cool. Hey, you're not you're, you're not entirely barbaric. No, um, no we're, we're we're scraping our way into the uh, the upper echelons of the crisp world. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. So Torchwood. <laughs> anyway, you were talking about uh, we were talking about SUV, but you hadn't said anything about why you thought SUV was the best story of the month. Sorry, undergone. Uh, <laughs> I thought Unforgotten was the best story of the month. I thought SUV no, was a lot, a, a lot of fun, though. Like <laughs> um, I, I did think SUV was an awful lot of fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, you were right, it was, a, it was a comedy release that wasn't billed as a comedy release at all, and there were some great mm. bits in there. Also, a really great character work for Tosh and uh, Ianto, who were... Mm. 
they were kind of the Torchwood B team, particularly in the first series, which is around when this is set. Mm. Um, so I quite like that we kind of got to explore them at that point, as opposed to the second series when both characters were a bit more confident, a bit more cocky. Mm. Um, and obviously both eventually met tragic ends. Um, so this is this is a bit more sort of fumbling the way around as Torchwood was in the first series. It was kind of the remnants of Torchwood as opposed to an actual functioning organisation. Mm. Um, and it's, it's like, yeah, you get these people that are, you know, brilliantly talented in their field. They're there for a reason. They're part of a team and the team can't function without them. But actually, mm. sort of on their own, they're, they're, uh, well, they're a bit crap. Um, well, yeah, I, I think it's. I liked that. I, I think it's interesting because, like, the uh, look, it's been a little while since I heard it, uh, but I, I kind of like that a lot of the story is about how the two of them, despite probably having, having the most in common with each other of everyone on the team, probably yeah. like project a lot of resentment on each other. Yes. Um, yeah, um, I think it's that classic like you're too similar to me and therefore I don't like you because there are things about me that I don't like or the way I've been treated that I don't like. Um, uh, and like, I know the, the story ultimately zeroes down on this idea about, um, about, about optimism and, and, and risk and safety. And, and those are sort of like a lot of the ideas that it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of about, but um, I like looking, I like looking at it through that lens. Um, yeah, yeah. What about was, you? Uh, um, yeah, it, it, one thing that sort of also stood out to me with this is obviously, as I've said, it's set earlier on in their Torchwood careers. And mm -hmm. it's nice that we can revisit um, what was the other Tosh Nianto one? Dinner with a show. Yeah, the, 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 the explosive masturbator story. Yes. Yeah, um, that's the one. Um, and uh, like that's obviously set a bit later when they are functioning better as a team, and it's mm. it kind of adds a new dimension to that. It's like, oh right, so they've been through SU, uh, sorry, Torchwood SUV. You've got to include yes. Torchwood. Uh, yeah, they've been through Torchwood SUV. So when we get to them at dinner and a show, we can actually see a progression, even though dinner and a show was released a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, they're a, they're a good pairing. It's that's one thing that the Torchwood monthlies do actually is they've they've come up with some good pairings that you perhaps wouldn't normally do, or the series certainly wouldn't normally have done. Uh, mm -hmm. Owen and Andy is the other sort of obvious one. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I guess I'd I'd like to see more of this. I'd like to see more of a lot of different like threads and and strains with with the the torchwood monthlies and i know it's all about availability like this only happens like all the extras on the you, you listen to the extras on this one right uh, i've not on this one no okay no 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 listen this is an extras one is it it's really good it's really funny and the story about like how this story apparently came about is very 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 funny as well um yeah go check it out I, sh I shall do. I'm re-downloading as we speak, so I can listen to the extras. <laughs> um, 
it because it's been such a busy month release wise i've kind of had to mm. sacrifice extras just to get through everything um shall we shall we move on to the unbegotten torchwood soho yes 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 uh so as i said my favorite of the month i did thoroughly enjoy it mm. what i liked the most about it is you kind of have the regulars kind of actually working as a team and functioning as Torchwood. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas the previous two sets have been uh, Norton's got a bit of a scheme going on and we don't really know what it is till the mm -hmm. end. Um, and we, we've had this set of regulars, but they've they've all felt very separate, you know, doing their own things. The first set, Andy doesn't really come into it until the third episode and Elizabeth mm. dies and all that kind of thing. Um, whereas this one, that they're actually in a situation together and kind of working as a team. Not quite. It's not quite mm. traditional Torchwood, but yeah, because Gideon's off having a, um, a a flit. I guess would be the term, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but he's joined the it, church. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's yeah it's it's starting to feel like there's a team dynamic in torchwood soho it, it's mm -hmm. it's you know it, it's a very torchwood team it's very makeshift and thrown together and dysfunctional mm -hmm. but it, it's yeah we, we're finally getting a sense of that and i hope that's something that they kind of move forward with because I, I enjoyed the first two sets but the whole it's just a norton scheme uh thing <laughs> It, it, there was a danger it would have worn a bit thin had we just jumped into that a third time. Yeah, I mean, technically we already have that other Norton story from um, earlier in the year, the AK Benedict one. Oh, yes. I think um, AK Benedict one. Yeah, it's, which I, I gather was probably originally a Captain Jack story. Um, also has like a big like... Um, oh, it was Lisbeth Miles. Elizabeth Miles. Oh, man, I get those two confused all the time. Uh, yeah, the Black Knight, um, it was called. Yes, 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 yes. Um, also, like, I, I appreciate that this story, they go out of their way to subvert a lot of what we expect with yeah. this kind of thing. Like Norton's, um, he's, play, he's playing speed chess, you know? He's not got some sort of, like, you know, you know he's, not, he's not doing the 4D thing. Um, and and there's, a, there's, a, there's a happy ending at the end um which is subversive in its own way like it feels it does feel like an imperial phase story for the yeah. team and like andy like he doesn't do that thing where he has to come and join the story at the start like he's just already there and then he doesn't leave at the end like he just seems like he's just there part of the team yeah he's, he's obviously splitting his time between being a member of torchwood in the modern day being a member of torchwood in soho in the 50s and living um on baker street in stranded he's kind of doing all three at once i just assumed he was still stuck in the past and they just hadn't found a way to take him back home um yeah. and they didn't he doesn't seem to be desperate to get home either mm. um yeah I, I quite like it though and i do think andy is a well, you couldn't do the range without him um I think I agree, know. but only because I'm a super cynic, and I think that that like I don't think they've ever done a big finished torture release that didn't, other than the Black Knight, that didn't have a character from the show. 
in it. Even uh, Madame I'm had a character on the show. Yeah. Or the TV it. show. So, yeah. Um, and I think, I think Andy provides the series with a legitimacy. And if he wasn't there, they'd have to find someone else. You know, like uh, Reese Williams would suddenly, like, hi, I am playing the part of Andy today. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, it goes as well, goes back to what we were saying before about um, the the Torchwood monthlies being really, really good for pairings. Andy and Norton was a great pairing to begin with. Mm, mm, and it's, yeah. it's, it's the strength of that pairing that has kind of moved us into the Soho range. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's great that they've added two other really, really good characters. Uh, I mean, particularly uh, Lisbeth, she's a great character. Oh, oh my God, she's so cool. She's so, so cool. Um, She's so Torchwood as well. Like, it's if you were going to come up with a 50s Torchwood character, mm, that would yes, be yes. It, it, it's perfect. The, the, the questionable sexual politics included. Um, did you catch the line where she's just like, all my exes I send like off to like fast, like all the, all the, all the women I get involved with at work, I send them all off to like obscure parts of the country yes. um, and they're never seen again? Um, which made me wonder if. The um the 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 woman from um Curios uh, yes. was was Lisbeth's ex as well um because she mentions Lisbeth um in that story um and she mentions being seconded in the middle of nowhere so yeah it's it, it's another thing that does impress me um, Torchwood at Big Finish everything is so well linked like the example you just gave there there's just little bits like that how it kind of does all fit into one nice big coherent timeline and it's with doctor who i'm going to use the c word sorry canon uh with doctor who like canon is so all over the place and so kind of build your own that um, mm-hmm. it, it's very easy and very reasonable as well uh, for some productions just kind of give up and go like you know what we want to tell this story we don't really care what was in that one line of the mutants um (laughs) sorry we're gonna contradict it whereas torchwood kind of um it, it it feels as though it is actually one sort of very well held together continuity it, it very, very rarely contradicts itself we have got a few things like andy being in 50% of Big Finish's output at the moment, which is not a bad thing. Um, but it it, it kind of means we do get a few different versions of Andy, you know, his characterization oh, yeah, I, in... I, yeah. think it's, I think it's impossible to reconcile the Andy from Torchwood, even TV Torchwood, with the Andy from Stranded. Yeah. Like, I, I just... It's just, it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are, there are little bits like that, but really, generally, it does all hold together. You can listen to it as like one big anthology that all connects quite nicely mm. and like you say you know the lines about the line about Lisbeth in curios a perfect example mm. um and i do i enjoy that about torchwood i'm planning a mental everything torchwood big finish of ever done marathon and i'm convinced mm-hmm. it's all just gonna fit together really really well throw in the um the 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 other plays that um like uh that the bbc did the the hadron collider one and um tortured yes. india and such 
They're referenced a few times. There's yeah. quite a few of those I've not heard as well. I've heard the Hadron Collider one. I've heard another mm. one. Was there another one with Martha in? Not she, to my knowledge. She was in the Hadron Collider one. But, um, yes, 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 yes. Uh, maybe not another one. It was, a, it was a long time ago that I heard them. But, uh, yeah, the Hadron Collider stuff comes back up in um, the other Martha one that they did, uh, dissected. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, I will. I'll uh, stick those in. Good idea. I'm going to include those as well. <laughs> it won't be exclusively Big Finish. Um, but um, like I say, I, I think it's all going to fit together quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have some complaints about the Unbegotten. Like, there's some stuff here that I like, and I'd like to talk about some of the things I like about it, but um, I actually thought it was the weakest. Of the three plays, of the okay. three Torchwood box sets, uh, the Torchwood Soho ones, um, I just, I just don't think it's particularly well structured. Like, there's something, something I really like about the the previous two sets, and I, like, I'm a massive, I'm going to call the these ones structuralists, um, but uh, like, I like the individual episodes, um, uh, individual episodes. Like, there is the Lisbeth episode in in the first season. Yeah. Um, or there's the um, uh, the Andy stuck in hospital episode from the second one, and those are the two that are most stand out to me. But the episodes do clearly have defined focal foci, I guess. Um, um, this is just sort of like I don't know if you've ever played an RP like a like a w a Western RPG like uh like Dragon Age games or something by Bioware or anything yeah. like that or something. Yeah, you have. Yes. It feels kind of like that. Like they just sort of wander around in circles in this one location over and over and over again. Um, and um, they just sort of talk to, to various like characters, learn a lot of lore. Um, and at the end, they have to make a big moral decision. Like Norton has to decide whether he wants to go with, you know, with what Armitage represents, you know, the villain of the piece, who is like, you know, he's like the, the you know, the establishment or if he sides with like gideon which is like this this source of like morality like he just has to decide like who his potential like partner would be going forward as well because armitage is implied to, to to maybe be like you know hush hush we don't talk about it sort of like half closeted you know versus um versus gideon who's 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 openly queer and sort of um you know anti you know um, you know, he, he's anti making sacrifices for the greater good or whatever. And they sort of like the angel on, 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 um, Norton's shoulder versus like the devil and sort of Norton has to decide whether he wants to like, uh, to coin a phrase where he wants to, um, you know, F with the establishment or he wants to make love with it. Right. Um, um, and, uh, like that's all good. I just think that the story itself is just kind of it, it doesn't it doesn't make the most of its of its six episodes. And like you can really tell this because like I think what three of the cliffhangers are identical. Like, oh no, we're about to be eaten by by crater demons. Oh we're not. Okay. And then like episode three, oh well, we're about to be eaten by crater demons, and then we're not. And then episode, you know, five ends with that as well, you know. Um it doesn't it just it just feels like it just keeps going 
it doesn't really sort of like build to various different like individual climaxes. And 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 that's sort of my complaint with it, if that makes sense. What did you think? Okay, what did you think of Armitage? Interesting character. Um, I kind of want to see more of this sort of thing in Torchwood, actually. Um, essentially, repressed Torch... Tories. Sorry, repressed Tories. That uh, well, yes, uh, but more more uh, a character that in some way, shape or form, Torch would have to be answerable to, um, be it through intimidation or, you know, or whatever. Because mm-hmm. um, we've, we've had the whole outside the government, beyond the police thing for years. And it's never really, it's never really been explored, well, what if all of a sudden Torchwood was accountable? Um, and I think Armitage is a very accountable, a very Torchwood way of holding characters accountable. You know, we're going to beat you up if you do things that uh, uh, that we don't like and that kind of thing. Yeah, he's going to screw with them. Um, hey. It's intentional. That's said hundred percent of the script. Um, but yeah, like it's like um, it's like the 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 rig pun in in Geronimo, right? Like the system is rigged. They live on a rig. Yes. Um, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, interesting character, interesting idea, and I do actually hope he's part of the range going forward and not just someone who turned up so Big Finish could do a do a torture scene in one set kind of thing. <laughs> I, I think I might like to see more of him, but I feel like there's something about a character that we're meant to find... I think we're meant to find him dull. Yeah. Um, like that 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 gag he has where he just has the one joke and he repeats it like over and over and over again, even when it doesn't make sense to say, you know, classic to like everything that happens and he encounters. Even if there's no one around to appreciate it, or the thing that he's describing isn't classic, it's just boring. Like when he's like, oh, a quarantine zone, classic. Like, um, <laughs> like, like I think like like Lisbeth. And 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 Norton, they're so defined by being like witty and having constant put downs and an observational humor, even to the point where like Andy has to call Elizabeth on like just making jokes constantly because it gets in the way of actually having a conversation in this. Yeah. Um like like he's com- like I think we're meant to sort of despise him for his artlessness. And I don't know if I necessarily want to spend time with somebody who is so contemptible but um enough about the dorian gray release um, <laughs> Ooh. I, it, it's 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 a more nuanced point we'll get to that in a second yes. but yeah I, I, yeah um well, I, I i liked the performance i thought it was great i thought he was really slimy and 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 like you got the sense that he was such a like you know pillock basically yes yeah um i mean i, su- I suppose he's in some way, a replacement for the uh, David Trenton character in the first set. I guess that's huh. that's his purpose. Yeah, I mean, each of the sets has, has sort of the the Soho sets has, has sort of had some sort of commentary on 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 bureaucracy and the sort of like seductive, literally, I guess in this yeah. case, sort of like seductive quality of of 
of becoming like the man um and the characters sort of resisting like being hollowed out or, or or falling into like line with a system that ultimately has no respect or use for them because they're you know um um obstinate contrarians queer um just want to do the right thing i mean take your pick um yeah 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 um shall we shall we move on to kaleidoscope ah good you pronounced it correctly yes kaleidoscope um, um I, I, i'm not doing that every time i refer to it Boo! <laughs> weak um Go on then, talk to me about Kaleidoscope. Like, um, it's, 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 it's very silly. I wish it was sillier, in all honesty. I, I love, we were just talking about structure. Like, I love how it, it plays with the idea that it, it's setting up, like, this, this threat in the first two or three episodes, and then it just completely resolves it. And then it just introduces, well, it doesn't really introduce a new threat, but... um it shifts focus several times for the rest. I kind of wish it'd be more of that. Like I would have loved, like, not only if, if episode five had just entirely been an episode of Kaleidoscope while the Doctor watched it, um, complete with like proper ending credits. It's only opening credits. It really annoys me. It just uses the normal Doctor Who ending credits. It kind um, of, I did notice that it, we got the Kaleidoscope quite a few times within the first 10 minutes or so of the episode, and then mm-hmm. it, it did revert to being Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you said. Like, it, it is, it's used like the, 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 the Batman, it's not called a cryon, but I, I don't know what the best term is for it. Like the, um, the you know, the, the thing it does. Um, sort of fanfare type thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's the way that like shows in the '90s would also use like weird sort of like establishing montages to sometimes move like Angel really loved, yeah, um, using like a bunch of flashes and stuff like that. Um, uh, I liked that. Like I said, I, I wish I'd leaned more into it and it had been funnier because I, I actually thought the weakest things about the story were how serious it could be. Like, I yeah. loved all the ridiculousness with, like, um, uh, like, like all the villains talking about all the different guns that they've found, the different space guns they've found, and being like, oh, this one melts people. This one, like, it's like a really dumb, dark humor. Yeah. But, like, I really loved it. But then every so often it would try to make, like, serious conversation about, you know, um, uh, ethics, in, ethics in space journalism or, or, <laughs> Um, when you know history's villains turn up, and um, and um, you know the the Russians are all talking about, um, or I don't know. I, I tuned a bit of that out, to be honest. It's just it just it didn't it didn't move me or motivate me in the same way that like Mick Jagger versus David Bowie in what they literally call the Dark Dimension, like it's a prequel to the Dark Dimension. Yeah, um, like. Like they're doing, they're doing a parody version of of the the super glam, uh, Omega versus the Doctor fight, um, like and 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 you've got like evil band members who are like, I play the volcanoes. It's just, it's so good. It's so much fun. And I, I just, I wanted more of that. I wanted more like, 
um, super stupid nanites or like the the general when he's like, oh, don't worry, these are not nukes. They they're not going to be blowing up. They're going to implode. We're going to create like black holes. It's like he's talking about black holes, like they're better than a nuclear disaster. I think uh, a lot of it was kind of it. It did remind me of um, like David Whitaker's idea of science. You know, some of the bonkers stuff you get in things like the wheel in space mm. uh, and that kind of thing. It, I, I kind of felt as though it was leaning a little bit into that. Um, just this, it, it's science on Doctor Who, but it's not science in real life, kids. That kind of thing. Um, I. I thought it was going further. Like it's just, it's just, um, like you're not meant to take any of this seriously, yeah. except sometimes um, Sarah Jane would have like deeply earnest conversations about like exploiting like sources, and um, I don't know. Like I just that didn't that didn't work for me, and I I have I, I talked about that before, but like. The journalism angle in the story doesn't make the remotest bit of sense. Um, like, like Sarah is complaining, and the unit is trying to stop. Um, you know, them doing it, like you know, this lady doing an expose about you know space aliens, but then apparently Sarah is free to publish, like articles about dinosaurs invading London. I don't know. It didn't it didn't work for me? I mean, it it, it has actually brought up an interesting point of you know when sarah was first introduced she was a journalist mm-hmm. and that 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 got her in with the doctor that was kind of her reason for being there in the time warrior she pretended to be her aunt and as a result ended up traveling in the tardis and mm-hmm. then after that first story she kind of stopped being a journalist and started being a companion um, yeah but she was still a journalist, and all of a sudden, you've got a journalist hanging around a top-secret military base, um, and that it's a dynamic that's never going to work. I mean, okay, they were phasing out units at the time anyway, and mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't really that many Sarah unit stories. I mean, I suppose, but like the big one, the big one is the invasion of the dinosaurs, right? Yeah, and that's oh, yeah, that's like next to. Um, the Silurians, like that's the big like. Oh, unit did a bad. Unit did a no no. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> it. So yeah, it's it, it was an odd dynamic in 1974, um, and it's this story's played with it in a way that actually nothing after the Time Warrior really did except mm, bits mm. of invasion of the dinosaurs you know the brigadier lets her go and get a few photos and it's not the brigadier it's the general isn't it but um it's it's kind of addressing that and i'm glad it's addressing that because the sarah as a journalist thing does actually pretty much go out the window i don't think mm. it's mentioned again at all after robot i, I wish uh, they'd done a better job of addressing it i guess um and i i think there's like real potential here to have like a story arc about her, um, you know, her relationship with this job and having to decide between, like, whether she, you know, w- like, you know, what this job means to her and, um, and, 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 like, how it compromises her, like, 
you know, how 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 working with the doctor, working with the unit compromises her integrity and whether whether like this is something that she even wants for her life right now. She just wants to basically take an intergalactic gap year, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I just wish I just feel like you could do so much more, I guess. Anyway. And then of course we had the other journalist character who <laughs> Jenny Nettles. Who kind of um she did a proper like 1970s Doctor Who companion exit, which is basically just right. I'm off to get, <laughs> I'm basically off to get married to the person I've just met. Bye. <laughs> um, and I, I thought that was brilliant. I just sort of thought, yeah, that's that's exactly how to see off this because she had been a kind of pseudo companion, she was Kaleidoscope's mm, companion mm. essentially. Yeah, um, yeah. I actually quite we... liked that they basically just right, you're. The series no longer needs you. Off you go to get married, which is exactly what seventies Who did. I, I want the two of them to come back. I, I like genuinely think I don't want like a spin off. I don't want Kaleidoscope the series every week. But I, I would love if they turned up again. Like you know, like how you have like backup annuals, um, yeah. at the you know or backup strips. You know, I'd love the two of them to turn up as like little like. Bits like that, like get the two of them to record a whole bunch of little like gags, uh, and they just like sprinkle them through stories where they just like travel around the universe doing like dumb like companion doctor things. Uh, and just, just they could just be them as clause for everything. <laughs> like Rose Tyler is trapped in a parallel dimension, but it's all right because Kaleidoscope <laughs> will turn up and just drop her off. Back at home. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's just something, just something very endearing. About the two of them because they're just such morons. Like the bit where um where Sarah Jane is talking about the two of them making out, like they're at the back of of oh, the script had so much fun with the seventies references, but like they're yeah. the two of them are making out like in the back row with a Roxy, like um oh man, like that was all oh, the bit where the um the the Russians are staring at them, <laughs> yeah. they're just like making out. They're still kissing. They're still kissing. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. Um, it's, it's so good. It had, I mean, as a as a script, it had an awful lot of fun. And while it was, it sort of set out to be, no, it didn't set out to be. It, it, it kind of presented itself as a, yep, yeah, this is a proper straight up season 11 action-packed mm-hmm. Pertwee story, you are getting what you'd expect from Invasion of the Dinosaurs and Planet of the Spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started off quite nicely like that, but then all of a sudden it became very, very untraditional and a bit more of a bit of a parody, bit of a love letter um, to the the general era. Um, mm. And it's when you compare it to uh, Alan Barnes' last... It was Alan... Yeah, it was Alan oh. Barnes. When you compare it to Alan Barnes' last third Doctor story, which was Conspiracy in Space, like Conspiracy in Space could have been made in 1973. Like that story could have happened. Whereas yes, Kaleidoscope. Very 1973. Um... Kaleidoscope absolutely isn't. Kaleidoscope is very much a story set in mm-hmm. unit dating, set in that general era, the 70s or the yeah. 80s, ha ha. Uh, but it, it, you could only have written it with that sort of love, that nostalgia in mind. Um, it couldn't have been written in 1973, is what, what I'm saying. 
Yeah, yeah. Hence, hence the the Adult Swim vibe that I was talking about before. Like, it does yeah. feel like something like like Harvey Birdman or or um from that vibe, uh, without like the the provocative sex comment. You know, it even has a little bit of that, but like you know, it still keeps it like PG. I was so disappointed. Speaking of provocative sex comedy, I was so disappointed that it turned out that Alastair didn't have an affair with uh with Helen Goldman's character. Um. Yes. I, I was so I was so into that. I thought it was great. I actually really liked her. Um, like she's not, not like you know as a person, but like I think there was like there's something a little bit tragic and funny about it. And Goldwyn's performance like really really matched those sort of golden tones, you know, that Colshaw and uh, and, and Nicholas Courtney. Like you could imagine them being cut from similar cloth, except like where he's a guy and he gets to go off and do all this kind of stuff. She. Um, She's she's she talks about being bored. Like she she talks about being a spy for the Russians because she thought it would be exciting and sexy. And like you get the sense that she wanted to have this affair with Brigadier because it would also be exciting and sexy. But she's just every single time it was just like she was just shut down. Um but her her lot in life was basically you're a spy, but you are just going to sit around the home counties and that's it. That, that's yeah, your spy uh, life. She thought she'd get something like a Bond or, or, or like running around in like the Hoomobile with like a cape billowing behind her, but she got La Carrie instead, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, thought, I thought she was a bit sad and tragic, and I kind of was sad that she blew herself up at the end. Well, that's, that's the only problem I had with that character was it's, it's something that Doctor Who does do occasionally is a hmm. character just kind of decides that they're ready to die now when they are no <laughs> longer of use to the plot. Now, the worst, yeah. the absolute worst one for this is uh, The Vampires of Venice, where pretty much every side character basically commits suicide <sighs> when the plot no longer requires them. Oh, yeah, the dad that blows himself up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. even Helen McCrory just sort of walks into the lake to get eaten. Um, at the end of it, but you know, yeah, near enough, every single character in it just kind of goes, I'm no longer of any use to the plot, so I'm going to <laughs> blow myself up, jump in a river, whatever. Um, and yeah, there was there was kind of a sense of that. She's just like, oh, well, I'm just going to stay here when there's an explosion, yeah. even though I have two legitimate ways out. They may not be great, but at least it's continuing to live. I, I think... Again, like we talk about recurring characters, I kind of would like like the brigadier has an affair with like with like Helen Goldwyn, like um, like that would like she was so funny the 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 bit where she's like I have a time space corridor in my bathroom, um, <laughs> and just like um, I don't know, like I. I don't normally say I would like to see more of a big finished character, but like I found so many of the characters in this story in particular as really appealing and very yeah. funny. Um, yeah, I was charmed. I was I was charmed. Yeah, absolutely. And to talk about Kaleidoscope, uh, we have been joined by Jay. Hello, Jay. Hello. So uh, we we couldn't talk about a third Doctor adventure without getting you involved obviously um I, yes. I, you wouldn't have let us no i briefly got out of my time eddie for this yeah it's you that you're up on the screen in the tardis you're up yeah. on the scanner just occasionally dropping into an episode to give us some words of wisdom yep i made time to talk about this 
I like it. Uh, so go on then, tell us what you thought about Kaleidoscope. I was really, really, really looking forward to this, as we all know from the third Doctor Spectacular that I did last time. And it did live up to my expectations. It felt in a similar way to the Annihilators, which I enjoyed a little bit more, but I'll get on to that later as to why. It felt really era specific, which I like. I like it when a story feels like it's set in the era. It was the same for, like I said, the Annihilators and the first Doctor set. Big Finish this year have done a really good job at making audios feel like they're in that era. And this did feel like a Pertwee story. And I could see Pertwee having a time of his life doing this if he got the chance to do a story like this. It's like the the dream Pertwee story for him. Espionage, Soviets, wartime stuff. It was really good. But I want to say really quickly, I'm going to get my bugbears out of the way first about the story. I liked the whole... Um, nanobot part of the story but sometimes it felt like it was two stories stuck together and I don't even remember what happened with the nanobots were they aliens or were they made by the Soviets uh, I can't remember either to tell you the truth I, I no. think they were aliens that the Soviets had got their hands on ah I think if, 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 if it was just a Soviet not Soviet there if, if they were two separate stories I reckon I'd have enjoyed this a lot more than I did, but I still really enjoyed it. Tim Trelaw was fantastic. Sadie Miller, still God's gift a big finish, because she's every every release she's done, fantastic. And for the longest time, I've really wanted a six-part Sarah Jane story. And I'm a bit worried, six-part story, you know, it's going to drag. This one didn't drag to me. Sarah Jane got stuff to do that were Sarah Janey like things, like doing her journalist stuff, which I really liked. And in the mix of things, they all sort of got their own bits and bobs to do, which I really appreciated because it can be really hard to do that in a story like this. And I really like Kaleidoscope. It did. It took me about four parts to realise it was Young Dracula from the CBBC series back in the day. God, that's a flashback. Uh, but he was good. I liked him. I really liked Jasmine Hines and Jenny Nettles. Jenny Nettles was a great character to sort of um, be a mirror, mirror image of Sarah Jane, like an anti-Sarah Jane. I really liked that. And then we got um, Mark Elstob, who's like the Peter Miles of the Free DAs recently. He was really good. I liked his Hurley character. as good. But yeah, that's basically my thoughts about it i didn't enjoy it as much as nylight is but it was still a really good strong release in this range i think that um annihilators was uh it was very 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 season seven it, it absolutely nailed its era perfectly yeah. even though it brought the second doctor and jamie into it and we had sort of multi-doctor timey-wimey stuff going on as well um yeah it, it really did nail series uh, season, sorry, seven, and it really did kind of 100%. get the unique feel of that. That I feel though, Kaleidoscope, it's it's not so much a season eleven story as it is. A no, story. it felt very season eight to me. Yeah, it's felt season eighty of the sort of Soviet plotline and everything. It, it reminded me a little bit of um, oh, what was the lost story called that they did? The Mega. It reminded me a little bit of that in ways where the Doctor and Joe end up stuck somewhere sort of thing. And it's like, oh, but it was still good. It wasn't like, oh, it's beat for beat copying something because it wasn't. It still took its own take on something. And yeah, it was 
I just really struggled at sometimes at points to imagine it being in series 11, but it's a six-part Sarah Jane story. What isn't there to like? Well, absolutely, and we, we didn't really get many six-part Sarah Jane stories, certainly compared to... And there's a few red herrings in there as well, I noticed, when listening to it. We had a Cyberman red herring, and then we got the whole, oh, this mysterious man who no one knows what he looks like. Uh, helped us do all this stuff. I wonder who that could be. Did he have a beard? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, could it be Sasha Dewan? Because there was a short story I read once where he was in a Soviet setting. Um, and, of course, in The Power of the Doctor, he was in uh, sort of pre-Soviet Russia as well. So he's obviously yeah. hung out there a little bit. Mm. Um yeah, but no, I I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. It, it's I do agree I with it. you. I think the Annihilators is the strongest story. Um, but I th- I think this one's perhaps a little bit more. And some people use this word in a negative way, but I'm certainly not doing here. It's a bit more traditional. It's a bit more. Of yeah, a, absolutely. A sort of a by the book unit story and. A, oh. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, no. so everyone that moans can shut up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it, it was a good bit of traditional. I liked that. It was. A traditional third Doctor romp is what I said in my initial review on Instagram, because that's what it was. And I want to. I really want to say something about Heather Shallons, if that's how we pronounce her last name, who produces these ranges. I think she has brought such a breath of fresh air to this range. And ever since that she's joined, the three days have been brilliant. So thank you for joining it, making my favourite range that even more better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did read, you said somewhere that um, as the the sort of Russian villain is played by uh, Stephen Noonan, it sounds slightly like yeah. we've got a Soviet first doctor. Really, yeah, really angry William Hartnell. <laughs> really angry Russian William Hartnell. It's only when he got really angry and started shouting. He started, it started to sound like Free was getting shouted at by Russian Hartnell. It was very funny, it did, but it did take me out a little bit. And he voiced another character. It was sort of the musician, mannequin, going, oh, yeah, babe, babe. That did annoy me a little bit. I, did, I, I wasn't. Sh- that's another plot point that I wasn't so sure about. What was that plot point with the musician man and the dimensional demons? I think they were just. Well, a it was obviously playing up on uh, Mick Jagger. I think it was a sort of a loose Mick Jagger impersonation. Uh, but I think the idea of it was it was just kind of showing kaleidoscopes working with Unit now, and he's a good guy. Ah, it was. Oh, it was right. just kind yeah. of in there to do that. The character of Kaleidoscope yeah. himself was an interesting one. Um, he was, yeah. I did feel as though the end was a little bit of a cop-out. It was... Yeah, he sort of shoved him out. Bye. Yeah, kind of reminded me <laughs> of later. that Simpsons episode where they introduced Poochie to Ixchie and Scratchy, and it's Poochie died on mm. his way back to his home planet, and, and that was it. Just done it. Yeah. God, that's a throwback. Uh, I know. Um so yeah, the, the kind of whole very nicey nicey kaleidoscope returned to his mm. own planet as humanity wasn't ready for him yet. Yeah. It was all just a little bit, bit too nice. Yeah, uh, we, we, yeah. It's like, okay, then we had Harry in it, who I really enjoyed in it. To be honest, it was a nice sort of what's to come. And I loved a bit. I can't remember what, what scene it was. It is it, when the Doctor's trying to talk to him and he sees Harry and he's like, "Who's that imbecile?" I was like, oh, little nod. Yeah, I thought I loved that line. That did make me laugh out loud. Yeah. It was brilliant. And it was, and it, I liked that he wasn't like 
the main focus of the story because I could easily have done that and I liked how he didn't meet them but he sort of briefly saw them passing by sort of thing. I like that too. He doesn't mess up with all you out there who are so into your, um, what do you call it, um, uh, your, um, I forgot the word begin with C, continuity, that's it. That's the one. Who likes the continuity, it doesn't affect it, don't worry. I, I was struggling at times... Because I like the when I do 3D specifically, I like to imagine where they're set. And it, initially, I thought it was set after Invasion of the Dinosaurs, but then she mentioned Dalek. I was like, oh, it's got to be after that then. So, but yeah, I like it when they sort of throw hints at where it's set as well. Yeah. I so props to Alan Barnes. The earliest you could place it is uh, just before the Monster of Peladon, I think. Mm, uh, it yeah. could even be later. It, it could well be intended to be sort of right before Planet of the Spines. Absolutely. It was obviously getting close with Harry being in it and that kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah. I love the way they brought Harry into it. That worked really, really well. And yeah, it did. It could have easily have not, and but they made it work. Yeah. And Christopher, Christopher Naylor's great. I was just saying to um, John T before the podcast that they has released a 70A trailer, and he's in that, and he sounds really good in that as well. He's also improving with each release he does. And it, that's nice that all these... Um, recasters as improving with every single set they do. Yeah, and it's it's absolutely great to uh, just to hear these characters back as well. You know, we we've finally got Sarah, we've finally got Harry in these fantastic yeah. full cast stories, played by sort of two actors who are just they're getting the portrayals absolutely right. They're getting it spot on. And, uh, who understand their characters. Same with Daisy Ashford as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, we've we've been very very fortunate with recasts, especially in the third oh, Doctor Adventures. I know we've said this before, but yeah. Mm, well, absolutely. I will let you drift back off into your time, Eddie. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm zooming back now in my glass yeah. triangle. I need to try and get the sound effect from the three Doctors and just have you kind of yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us for that, Jay. Anyway, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye. Shall we um, progress to Dorian? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the final release we have to talk about is um, Dorian Gray, Confessions of Dorian Gray, the anniversary, which sees mm. two, um, well, I suppose the two main characters from Dorian um, kind of deliver a, a monologue each. And hmm. I, I thought that was a great way to do it. Essentially, what, what this was, was Dorian Gray, the Companion Chronicles. Uh, and and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I really liked the way it played into the fact it was a vinyl release. You know, it, it wasn't just Big Finish have stuck this on a vinyl. It was, it's actually designed to be listened to on vinyl um, and kind of delves into... Um, and kind With of the into, Yeah. Um, and that that worked. I I did really sort of just enjoy that. Obviously, I've not heard it on vinyl yet because the vinyl's not arrived yet. But when it does, I will be re-listening as it's as it's intended. Uh, what did you think? Um, look, I I respect the the, the structure. Um, I respect the creativity of 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 well, not the creativity, but I I respect the the formal constraints. Um. Yeah. Uh, and you know the formalism, but I think listening to this story made me realize how much. Look, I, I like Dorian Gray series a lot, 
Uh, I think they have had some really great stories. I love uh, Prime Deacon Brody. I love the 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 Hyde story. I think it's so good. The Nev Fountain one. Um, yeah. Um, um, it was a, it was a, um, the 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 Guy Adams one that opens the final season is so scary, and it made me realize why I, that one worked so well for me. But this story just left me completely cold. I actually find Dorian and to a greater extent um, Toby to be utterly repulsive human beings. Um, and what I find interesting is about how everyone sort of enters their lives, ends up like, you know, being corrupted, falling apart, uh, like they're, they're vulnerabilized, right, by the interactions with two people who are essentially, one's a literal vampire, uh, the other one's what, like a metaphorical vampire, you know, the attractive, the attractive ingenue that, that people like dash themselves to death over because they, you know, so obsessed with the, the candle of youth and beauty um or whatever and yeah. i don't know like toby's toby's a repulsive human being oh, he's not a human being he's a vampire and that's the problem right he's he's a killer he's a, like I, I guess that he's a he's a he's a carnivore or whatever but like i can't i don't feel like morally i guess not to not to get right on about this or anything i'm just talking about like how i feel um yeah i don't have any sympathy for somebody who you know kills people with no remorse for fun yeah um not even for fun for food but like he has fun with it he makes jokes about it he has all like you know he uses little loops of innuendo about it and it's just like it's not my kink i get it if it was someone's kink like that's cool you know but it's it's not mine and um and i i just um you know, and, and and Dorian simultaneously is like equally sort of like ruthlessly amoral about this. You know, f you got mine. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, did nothing for me. The story is all about. I mean, it's a bad story. It's about nostalgia, but it's a story that's supposed to invoke nostalgia. And I was just, I just, I just had this realization that I have no nostalgia. Like no love for this for this central romance. And I kind of wish they'd both just die. But anyway, you go. <laughs> I I mean I think I think that I you know what you were saying about how you know anyone that comes into contact with these characters is you know that in some way or another they have their life destroyed basically. Um, I I quite few characters that walk away. I I quite. I kind of quite like that. I kind of quite like that, you know, they, they're protected by immortality. They're essentially protected by anything, um, protected from anything they do, whereas the rest of the world is vulnerable. And I suppose there's something there about having, you know, responsibility and power. And this is all starting to sound a bit Spider-Man, to be honest, but um, it's, yeah, the, there's something there about how I I don't think they actively set out to be evil or destroy lives. I just think that they they exist in a far more dangerous world than everybody else, and whenever somebody gets sucked in, they end up suffering. Yeah, um, but like to me, I'm I guess my reaction is just why don't you kill yourselves? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, it's like like lock yourselves up. Or kill yourselves if you can't. If you can't, or if you can't, with if you can't, like those are the moral things to do. And these people have no morality. Yeah, I mean, bear in mind that both of these characters actually 
do choose to die uh, at some point. Uh, I mean, they get brought, brought back and all that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, but like, they're not in this story. This story is asking me to care about them as people who want to, like, he really wants you to feel sad when Dorian's like, I drew Toby's, I, I painted Toby's painting. Um, and I'm just like, I don't feel sad. I'm like, yay, Toby's not going to kill anyone else for a while. Because um, he'll be dead. <laughs> yes, right? Like, I, I don't mean to be, like, cruel. I, I, um, and I'd love to hear more about why you like the story. Don't get me wrong. Um, but um, it's just... Uh, it, it's just a central flaw with vampire fiction for me. It's uh, yeah, the protagonist uh, is a parasite. Isn't ever going to sort of start off. Yeah, and there's there's no such well. thing as a there's no such thing as a noble parasite. You know, uh, you're still an exploiter. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Not like you know, it doesn't it doesn't you know, and I'm not even talking about it in terms of like a class metaphor. Like, uh, like it's just. They just they just disgust me. Um, but anyway, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, I think that's probably all we have time for, unfortunately. Oh yeah, I, uh, we, but... I talked so much. I'm sorry, mate. No, it's been it's been great talking about this this month's big finish with you. Um, so yeah, we will uh, leave it there. So thank you very much for joining me, Alex. No worries, mate. And uh, we shall, we'll do this again soon. We'll be back for more podcasting soon. Goodbye now. Bye.